0: Good to see you guys. I want to thank JD and John and Sloan and everybody set up for for working on this uh, holiday weekend so that we can still have service. Um, ooh, these lights are bright I'm about to give a TED Talk. <laughs> uh, so hopefully you a good Thanksgiving, whether you were here or whether you traveled and saw family. Uh, we ate a lot of food. I don't know, probably my whole November's worth of calories happened in a five day period, or what I was supposed to eat anyway. And uh, I realized this Thanksgiving, this happens often these days, that I'm getting older. After th- after we ate Thanksgiving dinner, we decided to, uh, we were visiting Robin's family, and there's a neighborhood close to where her parents live, and they're known for having Christmas lights. So we, the kids were dying to see some Christmas lights, so we drove to this neighborhood, and we're looking at Christmas lights, and there were some amazing houses. Uh, and I realized I'm, I don't know, middle-aged now, because we drove, and we saw this one house, and they had like an eight-foot reindeer, one of these light, lit, you know, reindeer that's made out of wire. And the first thing when I saw that, I was like, man, that thing is huge. I wonder how they store that. Uh, and then we saw another house, and my wife was like, they must have a storage unit for all that stuff. Our kids are just like, wow, they're not thinking about any of these other uh, you know, ramifications that we are the other 11 months out of the year when you don't have your Christmas lights up. So, anyways, you get older, you start thinking about things that are a little less magical and uh, more practical. So, um, alright, today we are in Romans 8 again, uh, and we're going to be in verses 5 through 11. So, um, I'm going to read the text, uh, but uh, but before I do that, let me give a little bit of introduction here. So, um, I'm really excited that we get to look at Romans 8, uh, that I get to to do part of the service, uh, or get to preach one of the Sundays where we're in this chapter, because there's almost no chapter in the Bible that's probably been more encouraging to me over my... Uh, lifetime as a, as a believer in Romans 8. There's so much in it. Uh, there's so much encouraging in it. There's so much just um, ways that we see how God works in his in His miraculous ways in our hearts of the church. So um, I'm really excited we get to look at that. But before we do that, I want to give uh, kind of an intro to where we're coming from. Because we just came out of Romans 7, and then we had a couple weeks off where we were doing some vision sermons, and then we had last week back in Romans 8. But if you remember in Romans 7, Paul spends the whole chapter talking about the wrestle that we feel in our hearts. That we want to please God, but we find ourselves doing things that we swore off. We want to, we acknowledge that God's ways are best and we want to pursue them, and those are the things we want. But then we keep finding ourselves mired in sin and and committing sins again that we swore off. And then Paul is having this whole chapter of wrestle back and forth. And then he comes at the end and he says in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we get this idea that, that there's this wrestle, there's this struggle, and it's frustrating, and what are we gonna do? And then he comes in and he gives us the answer. He says, thanks be to God, Jesus is there to deliver you. And then he goes in to chapter eight, and he starts to flesh some of this out. So, let me read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll get to, first we get started. So, uh, Romans 8, chapter, uh, Romans chapter eight, verse five, I'm gonna to read through to verse 11, this is what it says. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Jesus, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for leaving it for us. I thank you that it's alive. Thank you that it's not dead. Thank you that it's not created by humans, that we don't have to work hard to try to uphold a tradition, but the work of the spirit is real and you're moving in hearts and opening eyes to the gospel is real. I thank you for the people who are watching online and who are here this morning, I thank you that we can study your word together. I confess, Lord, that I'm weak and broken and that I have a lot of inabilities, but I pray, Lord, that as Paul said, that you would be strong in my weakness. And I pray that my desire would be to bring you Lord, and not myself. I pray that we'd be free of any distractions or any um, just talk of the enemy to to, to want to create doubt or foolishness. I pray, Lord, you would help us to clean to your word, to see it as high and lifted up. And I pray we'll see your beauty and it'll change our hearts. In your name, amen. So as we come into Romans 8, I didn't read it, but the very first verse says, uh, well, let me get the title for the message today. The title for the message today is the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's the main point of this whole section that we're going to look at right now, is that the most powerful force inside or outside the universe, God puts into your body. He puts it into your heart. And that's how he sends you out into life. Once you become a believer. So if you look at the very beginning of Romans 8, it's one of the most encouraging verses in all of scripture. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is Freedom. That is true freedom, and it's the freedom that we all long for. Many people in our world are chasing freedom in ways that will only lead to dead ends and disappointment. I read uh, two weeks ago, I didn't go search this out, I read it in three different places, just news sources that I happen to read on a regular basis, um, that it was announced a couple weeks ago that over the last 12 months in the United States there have been over 100,000 Deaths by drug overdoses. It's the biggest number ever on record, and it's about a third higher than just the year before. And I think it highlights the emptiness and the hopelessness that a lot of people feel. And there's a lot of ways that we're being told to be free and to pursue pursue freedom that are not going to lead us to anything except heartache and disappointment. Some people are tempted to think that if I can just find the right person to complete me, then I'll I'll be free, I'll be happy. But a person who's full of sin and mistakes is never going to be able to lead you to freedom or give you the happiness, lasting happiness that you're longing for. Some people are tempted to think that if we can just engineer the right things through technology and science, then maybe we can solve all all of our problems and we'll be truly free. Some people are tempted to think that if they can just acquire enough money to not be stressed out about paying their bills or uh, having to work at a certain level to make things meet, make ends meet, that they'll finally be free. But many, many people who have attained financial freedom end up in ruining their lives and just you know, making kind of a disaster of things. Because money, again, it's a created thing. It's not going to be able to lead you to freedom. So we have all these ideas coming at us on, you, you just need this, or you just need that. Um, billions are spent every year telling us that if we just consume the right amount of things, then we'll be happy and we'll find the, the, the meaning in life that we're looking for. But all of those things are going to lead us to disappointment, and they're going to lead us to brokenness. And so Paul tells us in this passage that what we need is what God gives us. He literally puts his spirit inside of our hearts. We need to be regenerated. That's what we need. We need a new life. We need um, somebody who's greater than us to come and be able to save us out of the situation that we're in. So as we're looking at this passage, we're gonna do it a little differently. We are gonna go through all the verses, but instead of going verse by verse, as I was going over it, there are really four themes that seem to jump out of the passage um, in the the text. The first is that apart from Christ, you're corrupt. And you'll see, we've seen this already a couple times in Romans. But that's in verses 6 through 8. The second is that the flesh and the the spirit desire very different things. So this talks a lot in here about desires of both of them. And you'll see that it's not just a benign set of different preferences, that they're actually at war against each other. And then the third one is that you cannot please God. That there's no hope to be good enough to please God. And then the fourth one, the crescendo, the whole reason of of why we believe in the beauty of what we believe in is God literally puts himself, puts his spirit in our hearts and sends us out with that hope into the world. And we'll see that in verses 10 and 11. So the first one, apart from Christ, you are corrupt. This is the reason that we need salvation because we are corrupt. And we've seen this a lot in Romans already. We as people are naturally disobedient and we want to reject God. Our natural disposition is not to honor and love God. Our natural disposition is to pursue sin. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 1. This is, he's kicking off the letter. We're in 8 now. We go all the way back to Romans 1. I'm sure you remember that sermon. Uh, in Romans 1, 18 verses... Verses 18, 21 and 23, verses 28. This is what he says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debase debased mind, debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So it makes it pretty clear here that what was what was known about God was plain. And yet they desired unrighteousness and they desired to suppress the truth. And if you go on in Romans 3, Aristotelian, before, uh, before they left, for him to go be on staff in church, did a great job with Romans 3 and his sermon. And I'm going to read verses uh, 10 and 12, if you want to turn there. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And Eric did a great job reminding us that the Bible does not paint us as good people who sometimes do bad things. The Bible paints us as people who are corrupt, as people who are inherently evil and need to be redeemed. He also reminded us that Adam and Eve were the only ones to ever have any stint of time where they were alive as humans without a corrupt faith, they were the only people to ever be alive and not have uh, and not have known what it was like to be a sinner, not have known what it was like to sin. And yet, what did they do? They decided that they wanted to put themselves in the place of God, and that's really what the root of all sin is. It's a disregard of who God is and what He says. And it's exalting ourselves into what we think we know is best. We're all born under Adam's seed, which means that we all love sin and we reject God in our natural state. And this is really hard to accept in our culture and in our time. In in the U.S. and in uh, uh, the Western world in general, we're inundated with messages that say everything to the contrary. We're inundated with messages that say that you are good, you are inherently good, that um, there are people who believe everybody's born good, and, and all evil desires, all evil behaviors are learned, either through institutions or through other people. Uh, there are many people who believe that this to be true. And we're told that you know if we work hard enough that we can get ourselves where we need to be. or We're told that we can do anything that we want to do if we work hard enough. And, and, and that's that's been around for a while, but I would say where I think it's gone even further recently in our culture is now it's, it's not enough to say you can be whatever you want or you're inherently good, but it goes further to say that if anyone tries to tell you you're not inherently good, they're trying to oppress you with some antiquated form of thinking. Or if anybody tells you that uh, your ideas are, are evil or sinful, that there's no such thing as you know good or bad, all truth is relative, and that if anybody's trying to tell you that something's harmful, then they're trying to oppress you. And I think that's a further place than where we've been probably 10 or 20 years ago, where it was kind of, you know, your self-esteem matters and you need to work hard and you can be what you want to be. Now it's gone even further to say, if anybody tells you you can't, then they're trying to oppress you. And and this is all anti-biblical thinking, and it goes against what the Scripture says. And some people even say that if there is anything wrong with you, it's not really your fault. You can trace it back to something else. Your parents failed you, or your school failed you, or your siblings failed you, or your family failed you, or the government failed you. That, you know, you can trace it back to something else It didn't really originate or root in you as the problem And again, all of these things are contrary to what the Bible says, that no, we are sinners who are corrupt, who reject God in our natural state, and that we need God to come in and give us salvation. And this may sound uh, a little harsh and it may bring you low, but we need to have a low view of ourselves so that we can really understand how glorified and how amazing what God did to redeem us and bring us into his family was. We need to have that low view so that we have an elevated view of God and then we have a, a gratitude and a, and a heart of thanksgiving that flows out of that for what He has done to redeem us. And so as we go on, we see that not only are we corrupt and that we're born into the flesh, but we can be redeemed in the spirit. But the spirit and the flesh desire very different things. We read verses 5 through 7. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Um But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So, a lot of times in life, people have different ideas about things. And uh, they're not necessarily right or wrong good or bad. For example, some people, when they think of a really relaxing vacation, they think about sitting at the beach, uh, reading a book, they feed in the water, you know, enjoying things. For other people, they think the beach is overrated and they much rather be in the mountains, looking at a gorgeous, you know, view from the vistas or hiking in the trails. Uh, some people love, when they're hungry, they want anything salty, you know, crackers, uh, chips, I see some people shaking their heads. Uh, other people, it's gotta be sugar. They need sugar. They want ice cream. They want cookies. They want uh, pastries. The same people are shaking their heads for sweet add sugar, so I don't know, I guess maybe some people desire everything. Um, some people think that uh, One Direction, you don't know you're beautiful, greatest band of all time. Other people think, no, it was in bye-bye-bye. You know, other people go all the way back to the 80s and say, No, with new kids on the block, hangin' tough, right? Uh, So these are things that we can joke about. You know, we can't really ever settle on who's right and who's wrong about these things. Um, One last one, some people with barbecue, they love pulled pork and vinegar. For me, it's smoked brisket. Like, when it melts in my mouth, I just close my eyes. I even feel a little guilty about the feeling I'm having sometimes with me, and I think I love it too much. So we were in Texas, I ate some brisket, it was amazing. I ate too much, but it was totally worth it, I would do it again. Um, these are all things that, you know, we can't really agree on, right? I can't prove that full pork is better than brisket, or brisket's better than full pork. Um, they're just preferences. What the flesh and the spirit desire, they're not preferences. It's a war, and there's no neutral ground. There's no Switzerland to flee to, where you can shelter your money and enjoy some world-class game. It's a war, and the, and the flesh is seething for you, it's hungering to kill you. And the Spirit is powerful enough to come in and rescue, for that, rescue you from that and bring you into salvation. This is what we need. We need to understand that it's a war. We need to understand that sin is real, that it's not a social construct meant to oppress us. We need to understand that Satan wants to destroy us. And Paul tells us as much in several places in the New Testament. You don't have to flip that, it'll probably be on the screen. But Galatians 5, 17 and 19 through 20, this is what he says. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Does that sound familiar? We just read something like that. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Listen to what they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We live have true freedom, you don't need law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul gives us another list in Romans. We already read some from Romans 1. I'm give you another list. We read up to 28. Listen to what he says in 29 through 31. He says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. There are gossips, slanders, haters of God, Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. It's not a pretty picture of what our flesh is, despite what we're told. Contrast that with the descriptions of God and His attributes. In 1 John 4.8, John tells us that God is love. He is the source of all love. He's the source of all wisdom. James tells us in 3.17 that the wisdom that's from heaven is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. The flesh and its desires are contrary to God. They want to lead us to death. What does it say the Spirit does? But but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The only way to true freedom, to true life, is to have the Spirit of God regenerate your heart and put himself inside you. We need to gaze at the beauty of who God is. Beauty always changes our hearts. Whether you're standing on a beach, looking at the ocean, or standing on a mountain, looking over a beautiful view, or looking at a painting, Beauty always changes our hearts. The beauty of being together, um, whether that's in a friendship, whether it's in a community, a church, the beauty of seeing each other love each other, take care of each other, help each other, that changes our hearts. The way we change is not by working our way toward God, it's by gazing upon His beauty. That's how, that's how He's created us, that's how it works. And that leads us to our next point, which is you cannot please God. There is no hope to be good enough. Paul shuts the door on that in verses 8 and 9. Because you may be tempted to think, okay, so we are corrupt. I can agree with you there. Uh, And in that corruption, our natural desire is to have the flesh and all those things that are listed, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, foolish, faithless, ruthless, all of those things that's the natural state. But now that I know, I was just ignorant before. Now that I know, I can I can do the things that God wants me to do. I can work hard and I can get to where God wants me to be. So I, I, I agree we started here. I agree this is what these things desire. I agree I need to get to over here. So I'll just map out a plan and I'll start my self-rehab journey. And we're tempted to want to think that way. We're tempted to want to pursue that way. It's legalism. Sometimes we love it. Sometimes we love legalism. It's concrete. It's measurable. You can can prove that you did things for God. But Paul shuts the door on that in a resounding way. Listen to what he says in verses 8 and 9.
1: Those who are in the
0: flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So he says, if you're in the flesh, you can't please God. You, however, are not in the spirit, or not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, this is it. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. This is the unique beauty about Christianity is that we are not enough. We are dead corpses. We have an ugly history of sin. And Jesus comes and he says, I know you're not enough. But I am enough, and I will save you, and I will give life to your heart, and I will give you my spirit. All other religions, you have to do something. You have to pray five times a day. You have to observe diet restrictions. You have to have a certain, uh, be born to a certain heritage. You have to do things for God. And what that does is it really puts you at the center of the story instead of God. So even in, even in these where you're trying to work your way to God, it's really about you. Because if you can't earn your way to God, then there's no grace. There's no gift. It's, it's earned. He owes you the due that you've earned. But Jesus is the only one with the power. So we've got to be careful when we're tempted to want to earn our way to God. Part of the reason legalism is, is attractive is it doesn't take any affection. You can do things without any affection at all. You can do things for God without having any love or desire or, or relationship with Him. That's part of the reason that we can be drawn to it is It's easy. I can do this. I can check off my list. And then I can still be in control and do the things that I want to do. Christianity is the only the only teaching about God that says... You have no hope. You're dead, and you, you, are, you are deserving of God's wrath. But God, in his kindness, comes to you and offers himself so that you can be adopted into his family as sons and daughters. That's the beauty of what we believe. But it's tempting, and Satan wants to tempt us to still try to prove that we can earn our way to God. Or we've been brought into the family, but now we have to work to keep it. But the scripture makes it clear. Once you're sealed in his hand, you gaze upon his beauty and that's where the change comes from. And he's literally put his heart, I mean, he's literally put his spirit inside of us and that's our true hope. So i going to close with that. Verses 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead It means he conquered death. That's why that's significant. He raised Jesus from the dead. So death and sin no longer have reign. So he says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He literally puts his spirit in our hearts. And we have to remember when we talk about God, we are created in his image. The Bible talks about God as spirit. Now, it does use references to talk about the hand of God, or the back of God, or the mouth of God, or the face of God. These are, I guess, to help us in our humanity kind of tangibly understand who he is. But God is spirit, and he's everywhere at uh, all times. There's no part or corner of the universe that is devoid of his spirit. He is omnipresent. And he puts his spirit inside of our bodies now this is an unseen supernatural reality it is very easy because we live in a a world where we see taste smell hear and experience things tangibly and it's very easy to forget about the unseen world and i do it all the time i mean think about it all day long you're either standing on your feet Sitting on your bottom, lying on your back, you're you're touching something at all times every day. You're consuming food and drinks. You're this you know. Last week you may have seen friends or family, and you hugged them. You tangibly touched them. You ate maybe too much turkey and stuffing. I mean I didn't, but I heard about some people who did. You ate too many mashed potatoes, or you know maybe you ate your con pie three or four times. These things are meant to help us experience God's beauty and understand who He is, but they can often get our eyes totally fixed only on what we can see, and we think life is the sum of our experiences. I I have to remind myself, I forget about the unseen world. God and His kingdom that we're going to experience in eternity, we will see it one day in our eyes. Right now, it is unseen. Satan and his demons and their work against us are unseen, but it is a reality that is happening. God working in our hearts to sanctify us, to, to root out sin, and to, to increase affection for Him. Those are real things that are happening in the unseen world. And I think it could be a good reminder that we do get to see tangible demonstrations of Him working in the seen world by working through the unseen world. I remember when my mom totally, as an adult, turned her life around from pursuing all kinds of destruction and started pursuing God. That is something that's made an impression on me that I'll never forget because it happened between about 6 and 10. And she was a totally different person when I was 10 than when I was 6. There was God working in the unseen world to bring about a change in her life and it had ripple effects in the rest of our family with me and my brother and my sister and, and the trajectory of where we were all headed. And so I just want to remind you of some of the things that we see in Scripture because the Spirit is not weak. We may feel weak. We may feel like there's no progress. We may feel like nothing around us is going right or no one around us cares about the things of God. We may feel like people that we have shared with will never believe, but there is an unseen world and God is working. So I want to read a list of things that the Spirit has done. And you remember, as I'm reading this, the Spirit that's done these things is inside of us. And then I'm, we're going to close with a moment, a few moments of just kind of prayer and reflection. So the Spirit that created the world is inside us. The Spirit that parted the Red Sea is inside us. The spirit that parted the Jordan River is inside us. The spirit that knocked down the walls of Jericho is inside us. The spirit that gave, Abraham, that gave Sarah and Abraham a son when she was 90 and he was 100 is inside of us. The spirit that defeated all of Israel's enemies is inside of us. The spirit that delivered the giant Goliath into the hands of David is inside of us. The spirit that did not allow Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be burned in a fire that was so hot it killed the people who tossed them into the fire. This same spirit is inside us. The spirit that shut the mouths of hungry lions and protected Daniel is inside us. The spirit that kept Elijah alive by feeding him from ravens is inside us. The spirit that rained down fire from hell, I mean fire from heaven to defeat the gods of Baal is inside us. The spirit that sent Jonah to Nineveh through the belly of a fish so that he might preach to that city and brought repentance to those in the city is inside us. The spirit that resisted Satan perfectly in the wilderness is inside us. The spirit that literally transformed water into wine is inside us. The spirit that raised dead people, those that had been dead for hours and some that had been dead for days, is inside us. The spirit that walked on water is inside us. The spirit that created enough food from a few loaves and fish to feed what was likely over 20,000 people is inside us. The spirit that healed thousands of people's illnesses, diseases, restored sight to the blind, restored hearing to the deaf, made the lame walk is inside us. The spirit that cast out demons with a word is inside us. The spirit that was killed, but then literally came back to life to conquer death forever is inside us. The spirit that opened eternal life and made us sons and daughters of God, if we believe that he is the way and the truth and the life, that we might enjoy and celebrate his glory forever is inside us. The spirit that opened my eyes to the gospel is inside me. The spirit that rescued my life from trauma and sin and mistakes is inside me. And the spirit that rescued you with your story from the mistakes and the heartache and the disappointment and the trauma that you went through is inside you. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to lead us in a couple minutes of prayer and just reflect on those things. And if you want to pray silently, that's fine. If you want to call out with how the Spirit has encouraged you and redeemed you, feel free to do that. Jesus, I come to you right now. I thank you for these reminders, Lord. I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is real, Lord. I thank you that we don't believe in a fantasy. I thank you that we don't believe in a man-made, woman-made, created religion that has no true hope. I thank you that our hope, Lord, is not in our academic success or our network or our experiences that we've been able to enjoy. I thank you, Lord, that our value is in that we were created in your image and that you have come and given us life. And you've given us your spirit, Lord. You have not left us alone in this world. You have told us that the world is difficult, but to take heart that you've overcome. So I just confess, Lord, that I was a rebel, that I was one who was lost, was hurt, was scared, and I was one who didn't have meaning. And you opened my eyes to the gospel. Just take a couple moments and reflect. Similar, if we were taken to and just reflect on the work that he's done. Feel free to encourage others publicly if you Hebrews 10, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for, for by a single offering he had perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts, I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their volestines to no the Lord. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any